Good morning and Merry Christmas. I hope you guys are starting to get into the Christmas spirit like uh, my family and I are. Uh, We are in the, I think, third, maybe third week of our series called Above All Names. And through this series, uh, you may have noticed as someone is speaking or presenting, uh, we've had the title screen up behind them to say what their name means. And so Sean means God is gracious. I've certainly seen that to be true in my life. And it's amazing how accurate so many of these names are. Like, did you know that the name Tim Thompson means one who wears plaid? Did you know that? (laughs) That is, it is incredibly accurate. Tim, that now it all makes sense, man. It all makes sense. How many of you guys have a favorite Christmas movie? Let me, let me see, show of hands. Um, all right, so we have several in our family. Uh, for, for my mom, it was not Christmas until she got to watch this movie. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Anybody else like that? Anybody would say that that's their favorite? Um, I have a movie like that. It is not Christmas for me until I have watched the movie Elf. Kind of the same, very much a classic. Uh, true story, we were in Central Park in New York City a few years ago, and it was in like the middle of summer, it was hot. And as we were walking through Central Park, I stopped, I'm like, I know this place. I know, this is where Buddy and Michael got into the epic snowball fight. And Amber's like, no, it's not. Like, they probably just filmed that in Hollywood and made it look like this. I'm like, no, I'm telling you, it was right here. And so we asked um, somebody, and they're like, yeah, this is it. And I didn't know in that moment if I should be, like, really proud um, or maybe just a little bit uh, embarrassed about that. Um, Some other Christmas classics. We have Home Alone. We got the next one here, Christmas Vacation. This is my dad's favorite. That is uh, my my dad's hero right there, getting shocked in that picture. (laughs) We have a Christmas story. That's another classic. You'll show you so many, so many classic one-liners from that one. And then Believe it or not, and every time we talk about Christmas favorites, everybody, or every time, somebody wants to bring up this as a Christmas classic. I have no idea how that fits. Like, just because it takes place around Christmas time, this does not make this a Christmas movie. Um, Here's what I want you to do. Turn to your neighbor and share with them what your favorite Christmas movie is, and then we will dive in. All right, so I'm just, I'm just kind of curious, how, how many of you said Die Hard is your Christmas? I knew, yeah, there's always, there's always a handful, and they're always like, that's right, and don't you forget it. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about this morning, uh, and so it's pretty heavy, it's pretty weighty, just as, you know, God's Word is in our hearts and our lives whenever we open it up. And so I want to pray that God will do the work in our hearts that only He can do through His Holy Spirit. So let's uh, invite Him into this this morning. God, we humble ourselves uh, before You right now. We are thankful for the Christmas season. We are thankful for Uh, what it represents, the hope and the joy. And there are so many things around this season that we would would look at and we would say, man, that's our favorite part of the season. But may may the the Christmas story always be at the top of that list. May may the, the account of what you did for us through your son, Jesus, always just stir in our hearts and say there are so many good things about Christmas from, from food to family to movies, just all of that. But the best part is remembering Jesus came as a baby, lived in this world, died the sinner's death that we deserve so that we could find new life and a fresh start in him. 
And so, Lord, today, as we look at the example that Jesus left for us through his life, I pray that you will just open up our hearts and that, God, you and you alone will speak to us through your Holy Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are so many things to love about the Christmas story, but really at the heart of it, like the the best part of it all is the message of Christmas. It's the account of Jesus coming into our world. And and the truth is, is that the Christmas story changed everything for everyone. I mean, from the youngest to the oldest, um, from the person who is the most devout follower of Jesus to the person who doesn't want to have anything to do with God, who maybe even feels like he doesn't even exist. And maybe that's where you are today. I want you to know that, that the truth still remains. The Christmas story changed everything for everyone. Because it's about the fact that Jesus came into this world, that God is with us. He took on flesh. He became one of us. And so it changed everything for everyone. This past week, um, as a nation, we remembered and honored the life of President George H.W. Bush. And I was struck by how often people mentioned his faith as a part of his life and his story. It seemed like every time you read an article or heard a report, somebody was talking about this man's faith and the influence that Jesus had in his life. And so it's very clear that Jesus definitely made a mark on President Bush's life. And it reminded me of a quote that I heard one time from from Andy Stanley about this idea that Jesus changes everything for everyone. It doesn't matter what position you're in, doesn't matter how much power you're in, you have, Jesus really does change everything. And the the quote that that Andy Stanley said, it was actually during the inauguration sermon of President Barack Obama, and and he said, uh, he asked a question I think is actually very fitting for us today. He said, what do you do when you realize that you are the most important person in the room? What do you do when you realize that you are the most important person in the room? And the truth is, is that if you are a follower of Jesus, then the Christmas account should influence the way that you answer that question. You may not be the president of the United States, but at one point or another, all of us, no matter who we are, at one point or another, all of us are going to be the most important person in the room. It might be at work, in your office, it might be during a meeting, conference call, might be because of a position that you hold, whether in the city or in a club or an organization that you're a part of. Maybe you coach a team or you teach a class. Maybe at home, you, you may not be the most important person anywhere else, but at home, then you know what you say goes. And even if there you're like, no, that doesn't fly for me. Even when you're in a room by yourself, at that moment, you are the most important person in the world. And some of you are going, oh, but God is everywhere. Okay, now you're just being difficult, all right? At some point or another, (laughs) at some point or another, you find yourselves around. All of us find ourselves where all eyes are on us, where people are watching, wondering, okay, what are they going to do? Where we realize that that they're looking to us for leadership, for guidance, maybe answers about what to do next. All of us have a time at some point in our life where our voice speaks the loudest. And our example sets the pace for everyone else to 
follow. And so in those moments when you are the most important person in the room, what you do says a lot about who you are. What you do in that moment says a lot about who you are. What you do and how you treat others speak to your character. And it speaks louder than your position. It speaks louder than your title. It speaks louder than your experience or your salary or your degrees. What you do in that moment speaks a lot about who you are. In fact, to me, there are two things that reveal a person's character and integrity more than anything else. Number one is who they are when no one's looking. Like when everyone's gone, when the door's closed, when it's just you, that person, what you do and who you are when nobody is looking determines a lot reveals a lot about your character, reveals a lot about your integrity. But I think number two, number two is who you are when everyone's watching, when all eyes are on you, when you have the power, when you have the influence. See, I believe that power is like money. Having a lot of it doesn't form your character, it reveals it. Having a lot of power does not form your character, it reveals it. Like it just kind of comes out in those moments. And so what do you do when you realize that you're the most important person in the room? What does your behavior in that moment reveal about your character and your integrity? And you may know how you would like to answer that question. You may know how your boss answers that question, right? Like we can probably all hear that question and think, well, I know how other people act. (laughs) You may know how your spouse acts in that moment. But I wonder this morning, how would God act? Over the last couple of weeks, we've explored the names of Jesus given uh, by the prophet Isaiah nearly 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And and this has been just such a, a fascinating text. When you, when you understand just the cultural context, everything that's going on in the life from, from the, 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 the division that was taking place, the darkness, the despair that everybody was, was feeling in that moment, in that day. Like in the midst of all of this, when, when, when people felt like we have no power, that there's nothing that we can do about our situation, Isaiah speaks a word of hope into into the middle of this. He, he shines a light in their darkness. And, and look at what he says, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So in the midst of all of this darkness and despair, Isaiah speaks a word of hope from the Lord saying that, that, yes, right now times are difficult. Yes, right now you feel weak and you feel powerless, but one will come. A child will be born. A son will be given. So the question for us today as we turn our attention to the second title of Mighty God, the question for us today is the same question that the original audience would have been asking. They would have been asking themselves, how will the Messiah, how will God in flesh use his might in this world? And I have a few ideas about how I would use it, <laughs> but how would God show us his might 
in his power. How would God act when he steps into our world and immediately becomes the most important person, not just in a room, but the most important person that has ever existed? Because here's the thing, how Jesus uses his power and his might speaks volumes to who God is and what he's like. The author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, meaning that when you see how Jesus lives and acts and behaves, you are seeing the very character of God. You are seeing who God is in flesh. I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 13. It's going to be our predominant text this morning. John chapter 13, if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, go ahead and pull that out now. And so, and so to answer this question of, of what, what would God look like when he has all the power in this world and flesh, to answer that question, we're actually going to start towards the end of Jesus' life. And to give some context to our passage, I'm going to start by reading Luke chapter 22, verse 24 through 26. Jesus is in the upper room sharing his last supper with his, defollower, with his followers. These men have been following him for the last three to, to four years. They've watched how he's lived, how he's treated others. They've seen his posture and his position. And as Jesus is coming to the very final hours of his life on earth, follow along up on the screen with what Jesus records. What Luke records. It says in verse 24, a dispute also arose among them, the disciples, as to which of them was considered to be greatest. <laughs> And so here they are. Jesus has just got done sharing kind of the final meal with them. He is hours from his crucifixion. He has, this is kind of the culminating event of his earthly ministry. He is on here. He has just set up an initiated communion that we got to share with today, talking about how he's going to break his body for them. He's going to shed his blood for them. And the conversation that the disciples are, happening, that are having in this moment is, hey, I wonder who of us is the greatest. In other words, I wonder which one of us has the most power in the room, has the most influence. Which one of us is the greatest? So in verse 25, Jesus said to them, the king of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who ex exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. In other words, the way of my kingdom is not the way of the world. When someone has power, they don't, they don't put that position over somebody. He said, instead, the greatest among you. And I'm sure this caught their ears. Oh, what does the greatest among us do? Because I want to be that person. The greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules like the one who serves. Jesus flips power upside down. And while Luke keeps going into Jesus' discourse about humility, in John's gospel, he, he records another piece that happened in the midst of this. John records one of the most humble acts that Jesus would ever do. Look at it with me, John 13, starting in verse 3. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. 
and that he had come from God and was returning to God. In other words, there's something about this moment. Jesus knew that he was the most important person in the room, that he held all of the power, that he was the mighty God that Isaiah spoke about and prophesied about in the passage that we read earlier. And so while his disciples are arguing about which one of them is the greatest, Jesus turns and shows them what true power and true might looks like. Look at verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. This amazing account, Jesus uses his power and his might and his position not to be served, but to serve others. To put their needs above his own. When Jesus was the most important person in the room, he served others. He gave value and worth to others. You see, Jesus' might was in his humility. His strength and his power was in his humility. Jesus was the most important person in every room or situation that he was ever in, and yet you would never know it. And it's because he used his power and his influence, not for himself, not for his own gain, but for, for others. And so when Jesus was in the crowded house and, and four friends came busting through the ceiling, so, so just try to picture this scene where Jesus is, is surrounded by all these people who are just leaning in on every word that he's saying. It is cramped, it is dark, it is hot and stuffy, and there are these four friends who know that Jesus is in town, and they have a buddy who is sick, and so they bring him, and they're like, we've got to get him to see Jesus, we've got to get him to see Jesus. But they get, and there's like a line coming out of the small house, and like, what are we going to do? And one of the guys says, let's climb up on the roof and let's punch a hole through it. Like, I'm convinced that that dude was a middle schooler. Um, if you have a middle schooler, have worked with middle schoolers, you know what I'm talking about. Like, this seems like a good idea. Let's bunch through the, the roof. But that's what they do. And they go in there. In the midst of this darkness, light starts coming through the ceiling. It starts falling in on everybody who's sitting there as Jesus is sharing. And you know that it's probably something important because people are hanging on his every word. In the midst of that, these friends lower their friend on a mat to Jesus. And I'm sure that everyone went from leaning in to what Jesus was talking about to stepping back going, whoa, what's he going to do now? Like, do you know who you just interrupted? Do you know what you just did? And so I'm sure some of them were standing back there going, oh yeah, Jesus is going to give it to him now. He's going to put those kids in their place. But instead, he commends their faith. And he heals their friend. And they go about their way. When the prostitute was drugged into the streets by the religious leaders after being caught in the act, they throw her before Jesus. They pick up Stones, and they are ready to follow Jesus' command to condemn her for her actions. But Jesus didn't use his power to condemn her. Instead, 
he knelt down next to her, almost as if to protect her. And he challenges them, and he says, the person who is without sin, let them throw the first stone. In that moment, when all eyes were looking at Jesus, going, what is he going to do? Jesus comes alongside the person who is hurting, who is broken, who knows their sin. And he does not condemn. But instead, he says, get up. Go and sin no more. And he gives her a fresh start and a new life. And over and over and over throughout Jesus' ministry, we see him flipping on its head what kingdom power and might looks like. And you may be here this morning and going, man, I know exactly what my sin deserves. I know exactly what I've done and who I've hurt. I know how I've been hurt. And Jesus kneels beside you. He comes to your defense and he says, go. Start fresh. Start healed. Start whole and sin no more. And throughout Jesus' life, we see him serving and living and leading like this. And, and so we read him say things like, if anyone wants to be first, they must be last. If you want to be first, you've got to be last, and you have to be the servant of all. That's what true greatness looks like. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted he says, in my kingdom, whoever wants to become great amongst you must become a servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And then in Matthew 20, 28, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, when Jesus had all the power, when he came as the mighty God prophesied by Isaiah, Instead of demanding to, to be served, which would have been in his full right as God. Instead of demanding to be served, Jesus took on the nature and the posture of a servant and he gave himself to us and for us. Put another way, Jesus gave himself to you and for you. Jesus set the example for us to follow. And then later in the New Testament, Paul brings the example of Jesus home to us because it's easy for us to just kind of look and say, well, that was great for Jesus. <laughs> but then Paul says, eh, we can't escape this either. Philippians 2.5, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing. Some translations say he emptied himself. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus, Jesus letting go of his, his divinity and yet somehow staying divine. He gave that up and the rights do him as that. He took on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And what Paul is saying is that in your relationships, have the same mindset as Jesus, meaning that, that 
If it was good for Jesus, it's really good for us. <laughs> in your marriages, in your families, in your, with your coworkers, with your friends, those who look to you for leadership and guidance, Paul says, follow the example of Jesus. Lead and love and serve others. Even if you think that you're the most important person in the room. And he goes on, he says, therefore... God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God exalted Jesus as the mighty God and gave him the name that was above all names because in his power and in his might, he did not use it for his own gain, but instead he humbled himself, he served others, and he showed us the fullness of his love by dying the death that we deserve so that we could find new life and a fresh start in him. So that we could be forgiven and we could be set free. So as we come into this Christmas and there are family parties and there are get-togethers and there are gatherings with friends and co-workers, what will you do if you realize that you, in that moment, have the power, have the influence? You're the most important person in the room. How will you act? Will you use your position to make demands of your family? Will you hash up the past and open up old wounds that have already been worked through? Will you continue to act like everything is okay when what you really need to do is humble yourself and ask for forgiveness and seek reconciliation with people that you've hurt? As we leave today, may we go taking the position and the posture of Jesus, the name above all names. May we go in humility and in love and serve others the way that our mighty God served us. Would you stand with me? And I'll close this off with a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you for emptying yourself taking on the nature and the position of a servant for us, becoming obedient to your heavenly Father, even to the point of death. Because your death is what brought us life. Your death is what brought us forgiveness of our sins. It's what, it's what ushered us into being able to be in a right relationship with God. Thank you, Jesus, that... When you came as the mighty God, you did not lord it over us, but instead you showed us what it truly means to have power, and it means to get down on our knees and to serve others. Not to demand to be served, but to give ourselves willingly to serve others. And so, Father, as we go out into this world and to this world that is constantly trying to climb over everybody to get to the top, and this world that is, is always trying to prove how powerful they are, what type of position they have, how important they are. God, my prayer is that we will go out as a church in the meekness of Jesus. 
because that is true power. Being able to lay down what we think we deserve to put the needs of others even above our own. And Lord, I'm confident that in the same way that you exalted Jesus through his humility, Lord, one day you will exalt those of us in Christ for our humility and graciousness. And it's not because of anything that we've done to deserve it. It's just been in response to what your son did for us. And so may his posture and his position and his attitude be ours. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.